0: Hello and welcome back everybody. Today I'm joined by Ariel powers Shop. Ariel is a senior contributor and writer over at Ghouls Mag, who I contribute sometimes to so shout out to Ghouls and more recently Ariel became the administrative assistant so Ariel congratulations on that that's so cool.
1: Thank you and thanks for having me.
0: Yeah how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great. I'm so excited to talk about this movie with you.
0: Yes, um, we've got a good one today. I would say out of the movies we've covered on the podcast so far, I think this might be the most fun one. Everything I've covered so far has kind of been a more serious one. And this one is just... Listeners, you will find out in a minute what we're going to talk about. So yeah, Ariel. As your new role as administrative assistant with the Ghouls, what are you most excited to get stuck into in that role in 2022?
1: So I'm going to be helping with a lot of different behind the scenes things, but The thing i'm most excited to work on are going to be some of the events like panel discussions and setting up regular clubhouse discussions um, for ghouls and i'm really excited to do that because i always love the opportunity to talk horror like we're doing today and finding lots of different people to do that with and talking to other writers i'm really looking forward to that and there's a lot of good themes coming up planned this year for ghouls like monthly themes so planning some of the discussions around those themes i can't wait to get started
0: oh that's so cool i'm so excited to see what you've got planned and i um, definitely will be getting involved in any way that i can excellent so that's yeah that's so cool congratulations i'm really happy for you thank you so ariel your ffo campy stunts and blood which I love. (laughs) Um, (laughs) What attracted you to those words? Why do you love that kind of horror?
1: Well, I love lots of different kinds of horror, as I'm sure most of your guests do, but I was really interested to get a recommendation from you with those particular words, because I feel like there's a lot of good films out there that I haven't seen and narrowing in on those three words that go together, I was like, okay, I'm going to get something awesome that I haven't seen yet. I love stunt work and I love practical effects. Um, I actually really like kung fu movies and a lot of Hong Kong action films, so I'm always excited to see that. I'm a big fan of professional wrestling because it's essentially just a play with stunt Work. <laughs> <So> <laughs> There's cool. a lot of overlap with horror, and you know, blood and guts and violence and gore. I'm always looking for that in a movie. So,
0: so we kind of talked about we talked about maybe discussing a couple of films. We we weren't going to do um, as the gods will. I think we also discussed maybe talking about malignant I I kind of know from your Twitter that you are dare I say a malignant superfan or at (laughs) least a James Wan superfan because you really love the Saw movies too right
1: yes I do I actually have my Saw shirt on today
0: what is it about James Wan's kind of or not necessarily even just James Wan but like Mm. the Saw franchise and malignant that is that you love so much
1: The Saw franchise and Malignant have a lot in common in the thing that I like, which is the absolutely ridiculous and unbelievable twists and turns. And also the procedural investigation element, like, I think taking the serious cop drama that takes itself so seriously, juxtaposed with impossible situations that really don't make any sense if you think about them, I get a lot of joy from that. And so Malignant has that, as does the entire Saw franchise, and so I have been a big defender of Malignant because I feel like I know a lot of people who didn't like it, which is fine. But... I just, I want to put it out there in the world that I really liked it.
0: I really liked it too. And to be honest, I don't understand where all this like vitriol for it came. Why were people so mad about Malignant? Personally, I don't get it. I thought it was just like, it was just fun. Not everything needs to be like a, you know, an A24. A24. Or, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like an art house slow burn, which those are great. You uh, know, which love I love. Them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, same. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes you just want to chill out and watch a guy on the back of a woman's head. Yes. What's wrong with that? Yes. Like these days, people have such a high standard for like the more quote unquote highbrow horrors. Yes. And, you know, people kind of forget that horror is fun. One of the reasons why I love Malignant is because I was just like, yeah, OK, there's not like a huge, you know, social message in this that I'm going right. to go home and remember for the rest of my life. But it was cool. <laughs> I just it loved was. it.
1: I hope that James Wan had a lot of fun with it because, you know, he kind of comes along and reinvents horror every 10 years or so. Like he gave us Saw along with Lee Whannell and Mm -hmm. that you know, has a legacy. And then he gave us The Conjuring. And like, sprinkled throughout are these other movies, like Dead Silence is also, has a ridiculous way that it goes. And I think it's a great double bill with Malignant. And so I'm kind of like, what are you going to give us next, James One? How are you going to reinvent horror this time? So I hope he was just kind of like, you know what? I created The Conjuring universe. I'm going to do- go do something silly now. And I like to imagine that he had a lot of fun with it. So
0: I'm wondering if if he's gonna turn malignant into a franchise as well, like uh the country, and uh, did he
1: do Insidious? I think so. I wasn't gonna say it because I was feeling underconfident, but I think he did. I'm pretty sure he did. Cause I have it I
0: had it in my mind that he kind of, yeah, yeah like you said, came along and released these two franchise. I'm just gonna look it up real quickly. Yeah, James Watt and Lee Winnell. Yeah. So both yeah. of them. Yeah, so they I'm wondering if he'll kind of take uh malignant and turn it into a franchise a lot of the like the conjuring and insidious especially are kind of they're like chill out horror movies they're comforting
1: you know the conjuring is like going to a diner where you always get the same yeah. food <laughs> And you know it's not the best food, but you know what you're getting, and you like it enough. And sometimes you're just like, you know what, I just need this burger from down the street.
0: You don't always need like a steak tartare or yes. like I don't like caviar. I don't need <laughs> posh food, so I, I don't, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I I loved it, and I was um I was really happy to see that you were a fan of it because I just saw it getting so much hate online, and I was like, why? It's cute, it's fun. So we eventually settled on talking about. Tokyo Gore Police from director Yoshihiro Nishimura. And like I said, I think this is probably the most fun movie that I've covered so far. It's just so silly. After you watched it, what were you, what was your first thought about it?
1: Uh, when the credits rolled, my first thought was, give me more. Like, I want 10 more Tokyo Gore Police movies. So it is really silly and, and splattery and fun in that way. But it's also a really interesting world. Like, I'm sure we'll get into it, but the lore of this sort of dystopian future, I was like, well, what else is going on? Right. it's fun, but it's also quite dark. And I was like, I am obsessed with this.
0: I love the gore and the splatter in it so much that I would kind of be fine if there was no (laughs) storyline. Like, I would just watch um, Nishimura just come up with whatever weird stuff that he wanted to come up with, like he did yes. in this movie. Um, a little background for anyone who hasn't seen Tokyo Gore please. Tokyo Gore Police is set in a dystopian future in Japan. And the city of Tokyo, of course, is being terrorized by these mad mutant-like creatures known as engineers. And engineers are extremely violent, uh they're dangerous, and when they're injured they sprout Uh, weapons from (laughs) their wounds so you know you lose an arm you gain a gun they were created by a mad scientist known as key man and there is a private police force so yeah tokyo gore police also has this element of discussion about like the privatization of the police force which we'll get into a bit later uh this private police force of engineer hunters kind of dispose of them and in tokyo gore police we follow ruka who is a special agent helping the force, but she is also hunting down an assassin that killed her police officer father in broad daylight. What I didn't know is that Tokyo Gore Place is actually a remake of a film that Nishimura made um, a few years before. Oh, really? Yeah, he, he entered the film into the yubari international film festival and it was called anatomia extinction and i couldn't find this online it would have been interesting to see it but he yeah he kind of took that idea and made tokyo gore please and one of my favorite things about tokyo gore please is that it was shot and finished in two weeks oh my gosh i didn't know that isn't that just like hilarious
1: Well, especially because it's so high energy the entire time, they must have just all been awake for two weeks straight.
0: There are parts of it that do kind of look um, cheap in a good way, like a a campy, tacky way. The amount of practical effects we have on show here are just amazing. Mm -hmm. We've got exploding heads, we've got crocodile vaginas, we've got (laughs) all kinds of things that uh, we will get into. I heard that in Japan, they kind of refer to Yoshihiro Nishimura as like the Tom Savini of Japan. Ah, which okay. I can kind of see with, um, yeah. you know, his his skill in the practical effects department. So like we said, Tokyo Gold Police follows Ruka, who is a police officer, but she's also out for revenge. And mm-hmm. she is played by Ehi China, which I'm really sorry if I've mispronounced any Japanese listeners who also plays Asami in the film Audition by Takashi Ieke.
1: I was so excited to see her.
0: Right? Isn't it? It's so great to see her. I've only seen her in these two films. I've never, I've not seen her anything else. But from Audition, she has just this face and this presence that just sticks with you forever. Yes. It's so interesting because Ruka obviously is out for revenge and Audition is a revenge story too. Mm Mm-hmm. But they're both so different. Oh, they couldn't be more different. Audition it has this... Audition is very violent as well, don't get me wrong. But right. it's this more like restrained... I want to say subtle,
1: but... <laughs> Well, yeah. Right. And it takes a while to get there, right? Like the first time I watched Audition, I turned it off after the first 20 minutes because I was like, this is so boring. What was everybody talking yeah, about? And it's somebody a, had it's to a tell slow me. Burn. Yeah. So then I watched it all the way through and I was like, oh, okay. I see. Whereas Tokyo Gore Police, you know, the first thing we get is a chainsaw arm.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tokyo Gore Police is more gory, but it's, it's less realistic in a way, which, you know, yes. is a lot more fun i feel like audition is very much uh you watch it through gritted teeth it's kind of like oh god
1: Mm -hmm.
0: um but it's yeah it's another great piece of japanese cinema tokyo gore police is the first japanese movie that i've talked about on this podcast and i wondered how much experience
1: you had with japanese horror like are you a fan of the genre i am i feel like um I feel like I still have a lot to learn and a lot to see. And I'm more familiar with the kind of J horror that is more paranormal, like ghosts and, and um, like pulse and Ringu of course. Um, But I haven't seen Ichi the killer or uh, like Tetsuo, the iron man. So I need to see more. Those are both J horror, right? Yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I need to see more of sort of like this other genre of, you know, more extreme violent. I'm used to the more quiet, ghostly type of J-horror. So I definitely have room to expand, but I I am very much a fan of horror from cultures other than mine.
0: I'm pretty sure Pulse is the scariest film I've ever seen in my whole life. Ooh, To the point where... Just that one scene. I'm sure you know the scene. I'm I, know the about. scene. I know the know scene. You know the scene, right? <laughs> Everyone knows the scene. If you haven't seen the scene, please look it up on YouTube and just put in Pulse Ghost Walking because mm-hmm. it is just the most horrible, tense, uncanny. Just even just thinking about
1: it. I'm please. Exactly. Just thinking about it right now, I'm like looking around my house, yeah. kind of creeped out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> going to look behind you, just over your shoulders. It's just horrible. And yeah, I like that a lot of Japanese horror kind of splits, obviously not entirely, but there's kind of the, like you mentioned, the paranormal, like the slow burns, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Uh, Ringu or Juon, And then there's this kind of absolute batshit crazy, dystopian cyberpunk side. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned Tetsuo the Iron Man. You said you haven't seen it. I really right. recommend, if whenever you get the chance, give it a watch, because okay. Tetsuo the Iron Man is quite a lot like Tokyo Gore Police in a way. There's a lot of this like, amalgamation of human flesh and metal and weapons but tetsuo is very <laughs> not fun
1: okay okay, it's very
0: intense it's very um just an uncomfortable viewing experience um, oh, i
1: can't wait
0: yeah please let me know when you've watched it because i'd love to talk <laughs> about it Um, It's really, it's really good, but it's, yeah, it's kind of, um, which you also see in a lot of Cronenberg films. There's a lot of Cronenberg in Tokyo Gore Police. Mm. So, you know, again, like this amalgamation of um, humanity and machinery, like sticking together. I had a question for you. Mm -hmm. Um, If you could choose to be, Well, like we said, in Tokyo Ghoul Police, when when the engineers get injured, they sprout a weapon from the place that they lost. So if you could choose to be melded with a machine, um, Mm -hmm. what machine would you choose and what part of you would you choose to be replaced?
1: Oh, that's such a good question. And I should have expected it and thought about it. Okay, well, let's think this through. So... The first limb I thought of to give up would be my left arm because I'm right-handed and I don't really want to give up a leg. Although a gun leg might be cool. It would um, be cool. <laughs> and I feel like I want to be more creative than a gun for an arm. And I'm really drawn to the chainsaw arm we see in the beginning, but that seems very impractical. So, God, I don't know. I want, I want it to be something that I can, like not hurt myself on yeah like (laughs)
0: have your daily activities not be impaired too much but if you need to
1: like cut someone you could right so maybe a chainsaw is the right answer because those aren't too dangerous yeah until you turn it on so I guess I'll go with a chainsaw arm I feel like I should be more creative than that but it just seems like the right choice
0: I wrote that down in my notes oh my gosh (laughs) I said if I if I had the option i would probably go for like a classic um planet terror like shotgun mm-hmm. leg but yes. they're so impractical i mean even in planet terror um what's she called cherry she, yeah cherry Dark. she can barely walk she's like hobbling, hobbling along with that thing i recently took my bed apart and made a new bed so well, okay. i didn't make a new bed i assembled one from ikea <laughs> and <laughs> i used a hammer for a lot of that and i was quite mm. into wielding the hammer but again so impractical
1: maybe get a job that involves a hammer and then it's very practical i
0: could do that i could get into carpentry maybe <laughs> right. just while i was thinking of that have you seen
1: the new vhs movie no not yet i know it's on i think it's on Shudder.
0: yeah i think it, i'm not going to spoil it for you but there's a great little segment in that that is kind of also about um what would happen if you woke up and like part Ooh. of you was a machine um, okay but yeah, very uh, more, more so like Tetsuo rather than Tokyo Gore please. Very dystopian and not nice. Yeah. OK, well, I can't <laughs> wait. <laughs> um, what was your favorite part of Tokyo Gore please? Because I feel like there's so many scenes that are just so iconic in this film and I'm having trouble choosing. So what was your favorite part? Um, I thought
1: it was going to be the, the crocodile vagina because that was wonderful. <laughs> um, but I loved the sword fight near the end with the the pet with sword legs. I yeah. adored that scene. And I feel
0: mm-hmm. like that scene is kind of more, um, again, subtles the wrong word, but it's less like just blood splatter everywhere. It's more of a like choreographed, you know, there's a lot of stunts in that scene that
1: you mentioned that you were into. It's well done. And, you know, it's a sword fight, but it's a kind of sword fight I've never seen before. Mm -hmm. And I find um, the character's called the pet. I'm not really comfortable with calling a person a pet, but that's what the character is called. So, Um, yes. And... And they have swords for legs, and I've never seen that before. So that was awesome. Um, But I almost cheered aloud with the crocodile vagina. I mean, that's just iconic.
0: So, so good. I remember years before I'd seen *Toku Ghoul Place, I saw a GIF of that on uh, Tumblr. <laughs> and I spent years, because they didn't tag it, they didn't write the movie name or anything, but I spent years trying to find out what, this insane crocodile vagina creature was. <laughs> um, it's just it's just so fun. And I love um, the actress is so, like, cutesy. Like, she's she's just so got,
1: cute, yeah. She's
0: adorable. <laughs> she's just, like, got this little cutie face and then mm-hmm. she's just, like, crawling along with these giant gaping jaws um, yeah. to attack the police officer. Tokyo glow Police has so many good characters in it. So you mentioned the pet. Um, yes. The pet is kind of... Um, a quadruple amputee who sometimes has uh, katana swords fitted onto their arms and legs and they are basically yes. serving as like um yeah like a sex uh sex object for the uh, chief of police
1: <laughs> yes sometimes she's wearing a, a like a, um like a gimp mask mm-hmm. i believe they're called um and sometimes you can see her face and i was trying to look up this actress because i was very curious about you know how they achieved this in making her appear like an amputee because i don't think she is
0: i would be surprised if she actually was i mean because there's a lot of i mean i don't know maybe she is but i i would be surprised
1: well i looked her up and she's in some other films and so you know i maybe i didn't look that hard but I was kind of like, okay, they must have done this with special effects. And then I, I looked a little bit into to try to find out how. And then I was like, ah, I don't know. It's movie magic.
0: <laughs> it's And it's really magic because if she's not an amputee, she does look like she's missing her limbs. Yep. I mean, I guess it could be like a CGI green screen thing. But considering they yeah. did it in two weeks, that's very impressive.
1: Yes. Especially and, now knowing that. I want to know how they did everything. I
0: know, right? That's the thing with... um. I've spoken about this with a few guests, but the thing that's so amazing about uh, practical effects as opposed to mm-hmm. CGI. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I I think I've made my opinion on CGI quite... I'm not like a CGI snob or anything. If I'm given the choice, I'd rather watch the practical effects.
1: Yes. Well, they're just going to hold up over time so much better. Because there is a bit of CGI in
0: Tokyo Ghoul Place. I'm thinking of the scene in the fight scene between the pet and Ruka, there's a couple mm-hmm. of scenes, like a couple of flips that the pet does that don't look their best. Right. That scene's not not as campy and as fun as the ones where you can tell it's just molded plastic,
1: like the um the car pulling apart the yes. bartender. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. that yeah. looks amazing, and it's you know it's a mannequin, but that's that scene was awesome.
0: It's because it's like it's such a horrible thing to happen to be oh, like quartered yeah. by four cars. But just yes. like the way it's done is just I was just laughing the whole time, even though I shouldn't because that character is she's good. She's a nice. She's yes. the owner of the bar. She's like Ruka's only friend, basically. So I think it's mm-hmm. quite traumatic for Ruka, like to see that. Of course. And it takes its time. It really does, because all the other kills are just like, splat, bang, done. But right. that one they kind of build up to. Um, so finding the cast was kind of difficult for this film because I also wanted to know about who played the pet and trying to find other actors who were in the film because in the credits I can't read Japanese, but I can I can obviously read English. And it said the name in the credits, it said the name Sion Sono, who um I'm not sure if you know he is another Japanese director. He directed a film called Tag, which I think you have. Okay. Given okay. your FFOs, I think you'd love Suicide Club. And more recently, he did Prisoners of the Ghost Land with Nicolas Cage. Oh, okay. Which I haven't seen, but me you either. Know. Anything with Nick Cage. Um so yeah, this 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 um director Sion Sono is in the film, but I couldn't find who he is. And hmm. it's so hard because also I don't think I know any of the characters' names in the film.
1: Right. Other than Ruka and the key yeah. man, I don't know anybody's name.
0: I don't either. And, you know, they're all all their faces are either half the time covered in blood or right. covered in these weird mutations that you know, kind of unsure who's who to be honest but yeah let's let's get into ruka well she's both an interesting character and she's also has zero personality which oh which i kind of like because she in audition obviously she ahishina played this she was like a brick wall you couldn't read yeah. anything and i feel like the actress has a great face for that and then also with with ruka she is kind of the same you can't really read much on her face and I don't think it's that she's a bad actress I think maybe that was a choice of um the director but I it's interesting to say the least because in a film where everyone else is like yelling and screaming all the time right she was very subtle and
1: I agree I think it was a choice because in audition the same actress She's like a brick wall, but you know there's something behind the wall. Like her performance is such that you're like, what's going on in her head? Whereas in Tokyo Gore Police, Ruka, you don't get a lot from her, but it's because she's just trying to suppress everything. She doesn't want there to be anything behind that. So it's a really subtle difference in that performance, but she's a fantastic actress.
0: She really is. She says so much with so little Mm -hmm. like expression on her face. One thing I was going to ask you because I kind of didn't decide definitively what I thought about this. So, one of the more uh I guess you would say human displays of violence in Tokyo Gore mm-hmm. Police is that Ruka is a self-harmer. She yes. cuts her wrist and also her mother. We kind of see a flashback and her mother hurts herself as well. And that's kind of every other part of Gore is presented as kind of, you know, a fun thing. But that's actually presented quite um sensitively, I thought. And I wasn't really sure what to make of the reasoning behind Ruka and her mother being
1: self-harmers. Like, did you have any thoughts on that? That's a good question. Um, Because when we see the flashback to her mother, that's presumably before the police force was privatized. Mm-hmm. And probably this dystopia wasn't. The way we see it yet because her father's still alive at that point and that's kind of the, the breaking point for the police force. So I wonder if her mother maybe just had some untreated mental illness sort of unrelated to the way the, the dystopia was. Right, yeah. And then Ruka in the future I wonder if it's because that's kind of her only outlet. You know, she hunts engineers Mm -hmm. and she wants to follow in the footsteps of her father, but she doesn't really have any place to, to process. And we see her cut herself when she is gearing up to fight an engineer. So it seems like kind of a release. And I thought more about it, too, because there are these irreverent commercials that we see throughout the film. Oh, my God. Yeah. And one of the commercials is for is targeted at teen girls and it's for very cute little box cutters that you can use yeah. to cut yourself. And so like in this dystopian future, perhaps they've decided people are just going to do this. So we might as well monetize it. It seemed like, you know, the whole world needs help. I hadn't thought of that.
0: That's really interesting. I hadn't thought of what you just said about how monetizing it because, because this is a world where everything's privatized. You know, the, the police yes. force is privatized. The, they mentioned at the end, like, the army is privatized yes. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it seems like a very, you know, it's a dystopian view of Japanese society. And yes. um, I lived in Japan for a couple of years, obviously, in, in no way an expert at all. But I, I kind of know that Japan has a huge problem with suicide yes. and especially suicide in younger people so yeah maybe it's kind of like this horrible dystopian japan has taken this and thought wow we can make money out of that it's also kind of like this whole desensitization to violence that mm-hmm. this society has is that you know we've got the cutesy little which i I gotta be honest i love these ads so much
1: i they're great they're they're an excellent addition yeah
0: they remind me of like the grindhouse ads yes in yeah in, grind, in, in grind the house. grindhouse yeah because there was uh what was it there was machete that yep. was one of the ads i can't remember the other ones i think uh, wasn't one hobo with a shotgun oh yes yeah 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 and i think edgar wright did one yeah, um, i'm not I can't remembering remember. anyway it kind of reminded me of that just like these little asides that are put in to you know give you some context about the society that that they're living
1: in You said this was a remake of a movie that was from a few years earlier, and that's interesting to me because I had all these theories about why this movie would come out in 2008, Mm -hmm. so I don't know if those are valid anymore, if this is um, a remake of an earlier film, because I was thinking, like, this was the era of torture porn in North America, and it was also in the era of New French Extremity, which are different things, but both quite violent and You know, in 2008, you know, a lot of the world was going through this recession and it was a pretty dark time in a lot of developed countries. And so and then the birth rate was dropping in Japan in 2008. So I was like, oh, dystopia. But I don't know if any of that is is true or if I just.
0: (laughs) No, I I absolutely I think you're on to it. I mean, like I said, this was his film that he had made before, but I haven't seen it. So, you know, he could well have added all of these things in later Mm -hmm. later. yeah everything you said totally completely makes sense um especially yeah when you think about like the extremities that we were seeing in cinema at that time to take that and just be like well we're going to make it you know we're going to make the imagine this world where everyone's so desensitized to violence that we're going to you know we're going to commodify it and we're going to make it attractive Mm -hmm. to teen girls and there's also the other ad like the but then there's another ad which i which kind of confused because there's this like don't commit harakiri ad um, right so it's kind of like there is this kind of sense that they do want to care for their civilians, but it's also presented like so ridiculously. Who could take it seriously, honestly?
1: Right. I Yeah, I was very fascinated by, you know, there's an ad for these box cutters for teen girls and then mm. there's an ad for a sword and they kept saying like it cuts. Yeah. Um, but then there is an ad that's an anti-suicide ad that is kind of silly um just the way it's put together but i was like okay maybe society's like we understand you're gonna go this far so okay but don't don't go this far yeah yeah, yeah. take it to this point
0: i mean yeah because you get the whole like um like the cutesy girl saying, like, the privatization of the police force is beneficial for everyone. Leads but to more it, plentiful lives. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's it, it doesn't, and it never would. I also noticed uh, the police station itself um, has banners hanging outside of it, which mm-hmm. it, obviously I can't read Japanese, but I asked someone... I know that Camry Japanese was like, can you just take a look at this? And it says stuff like our main goal is to protect our beloved citizens or Hmm. something like that. But then towards the end of the movie, the police are out there, you know, just like executing and beheading innocent civilians. yeah. yeah. Which, you know, know, is not too far from the real life police force that we know we know today i don't know a lot about the police force in japan obviously japan is like notoriously an extremely safe country they have like next to no violence or and like zero firearm offenses or something like that right
1: I was thinking about it from my perspective as uh, in the U.S. Mm-hmm. and the reckoning we've been having with the police force in the last couple of years in the U.S. and so um, different, different than a Japanese perspective on on this world.
0: Yeah, different, but also so interesting to view it from you know the the couple of years that we've been having where you know not just America, my from England, mm-hmm. our own police force. I mean, literally, like this week. A police officer was arrested for taking a picture with a corpse, like taking a selfie. And then like they looked oh. at his phone and it his phone was just like full of racist, misogynistic text. It was like, is anyone surprised? Like, oh, really? Come on. God. This is it's the whole world I think is um has their eyes more on the police now and are beginning to mm-hmm. kind of um Wise up to the fact that you know maybe the police aren't looking
1: out for our best our best interests. Right, and it's a it's a more deeply rooted systemic problem than it is with any individual officer, and so I don't think it can be addressed by individuals. It needs to be addressed from the roots. You know, even in Tokyo Gore Police, we've got Ruka's
0: father. Who is by all means um, presented as like this great guy? Like he's yes. out there. Looks like he actually really cares for the citizens of Tokyo and um, making sure that the police, the police industry, is kept uh, public and not privatized. So it's definitely not. It's not a propaganda film, but it's definitely not a like completely anti police film, like some others that right. I've seen.
1: No, I agree with that. Um. The, the film presents this idea of, like, you know, the problems are are much greater than the police force. Like, there's a lot of problems in the world. And so I, I think it's looking at that world in general through the eyes of Ruka, who happens to be a police officer.
0: Yeah, Ruka's position is really interesting because she is a police officer and then she gets turned into, you know, she gets turned into an engineer by Keyman, mm-hmm. And we also then find out that key Man and ruka have a common enemy yes they've both experienced their fathers um assassinated at the hands of the police force the privatized mm-hmm. police force so it's interesting to think about ruka's position as you know she's loyal to her position as a police officer but she's also out there looking for her father her father's assassin and then she gets turned into this mm-hmm. amazing engineer at the end she's oh, of yes. all the engineers you know ruka's um weird crocodile arm and her just amazing like <laughs> camera eye. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. She's so cool.
1: Yes. And it really, you know, okay, this movie is fun and you can just watch it for fun. But it also, like, as we're talking about it, I'm like, oh, there is a lot to think about where I'm thinking at the end, like, you know, she's an engineer, but she doesn't want to be and she doesn't want to be evil. Yeah. Like, are the engineers more violent because they know they're being hunted and they're trying to protect themselves? Essentially, police are killing people for a physical characteristic that they have.
0: That's a great point. You know, at the end, Ruka teams up with uh, the pet. Yes. <laughs> who the pet now has graduated from katana limbs to massive uh, machine gun legs. Yes. So I would I love to know. I want that movie. Yeah, I would <laughs> love to know like, their adventures, like um, mm-hmm. destroying the police force and everything that comes with mm-hmm. it. Um, I was thinking a little bit about Key Man. Now, I just, first of all, hilarious that he's just called Key Man. Yes. Like, I just love that so much. He's also an interesting character because he... <laughs> I had another interesting question for you here. So, Keyman okay. injects himself with the DNA. After his father has been killed, he kind of goes on this, like, revenge rampage type thing. And he injects himself with the DNA of, like, different serial killers, um, Ed Gein, uh, Charles Manson, I think it was another mm-hmm. one. And he kind of takes on all their characteristics to become, like, this mega-psycho scientist freak yes so my question for you is (laughs) if you could inject yourself with a famous person's dna not necessarily a serial killer um, (laughs) and take on some of their characteristics who would you choose
1: oh my goodness oh man this is a question you could really get wrong (laughs) (laughs) no wrong answers here i guess it's like what do you want to be good at You know, like, who's the famous person where you could take whatever their skills are and flip it into something that you want to be good at? Right. Um, And I'm trying to think about, like, is there a famous person whose DNA I could choose and then be, like, really good at a bunch of stuff? Like, is there, like, a NASA scientist where I could just use their brain to go a totally different direction? I mean, you could this do is a such a good question. You could
0: do like Keyman does, where you could just do a bunch. You could do, you right. know, like you could have Stephen Hawking, then you could have like a science brain. Yeah. You could do, um, I'm blanking on any famous people
1: right now. I know, me too. That's why I was like avoiding <laughs> the question. I was like, why can't I think of anybody? But I started thinking of directors. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh. okay, I've got it, actually. <gasps> okay. I would Ooh. pick Stephen King. Oh, perfect. You know, you because. Go. I mean, so he is my favorite author, and mm-hmm. a lot of ups and downs in his different books. I can recognize that, but I just want to know what goes on in in his head sometimes. Right. And so, if injecting your in in this fictional world where injecting yourself with someone's DNA gives you their characteristics, I want yeah. to be able to write as well as him. And Stephen King, if you're listening, I'm not weird. This is a <laughs> fictional question. Stephen, <laughs> don't worry. Right. We are not after I know. you with like a needle. <laughs> He's a big fan of your podcast, so he'll be. Oh, he's always
0: listening. He's he's like he's the next guest. No, that's that's a great answer as well because he's you know I'm not even going to list them, but he's just like the master of horror fiction, and he's given us so many amazing stories. And he seems like a cool guy too. He does. He seems like a nice a nice man.
1: He'd be like, this is an opportunity for a story.
0: Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Um, I was just thinking about another one of my favorite. Favourite parts of Tokyo Gore Police is the fetish club. Oh my gosh, yes. And what a nightmare. What a gorgeous nightmare.
1: Seriously.
0: Yeah, so one of the police officers whose name again escapes me, he uh goes to the fetish club to kind of like work undercover and uh see some of the engineers who are working as well, I, I guess they're working as sex workers. That's kind of the Seems
1: to be the case, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's kind of the implication here. But he goes to this amazing club where it's full of like Lee Bowery-esque club kids. I looked it up because I was so obsessed with the costumes. Some of the costumes in this movie is just amazing. Yes. And the latex, some of the costumes, the latex scenes, also the gas mask costume that the pet wears. Yes. Is made by this uh, designer duo called Kariwans who I will put a link in the show notes to their website and stuff. So they make this amazing bubbly headed latex that you see in this club. And it's kind of like an auction, right? They're kind of auctioning off the girls. So we see a snail girl. She kind of reminds me of like, mon- like horror manga, like Junji Ito style. Yes,
1: like. I thought of Junji Ito too with the, you know, just because of the swirl of the snail Yeah, 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 the
0: spirals. She's great fun. And but my personal favorite is oh the most, one of the most horrific things I think I've ever seen in my life.
1: It's rough. Yeah. Is
0: the human <laughs> chair. So <laughs> for anyone who hasn't seen it, I don't even know of describing it. <laughs> well they kind of reveal this chair uh made of a person's torso hooked up to an ivy and we kind of see the chest starts breathing so mm-hmm. that's kind of a nightmare in itself is that there's this this well is there even a consciousness i don't know
1: i don't know and that's what's so
0: scary <laughs> and and it's presented in like this fetishistic fun way but if you actually sit down and think about that concept, that is genuinely terrifying.
1: You hope there's not a consciousness.
0: I really hope there's there. not. Yeah. I really hope there's not. I mean, they've got this thing hooked up to an IV, and then, and then it uh, it pees or something else
1: or something. It, does, <laughs> it liquid shoots out of it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Liquid shoots out of the genitalia area and all over the audience and they just love it. Like they burst into applause. They're like showering themselves yeah. in this um whatever it is. After all the Japanese films I've seen, I kind of I kind of sometimes think of myself as like immune to, you know, like, oh what the fuck Japan moments. Um <laughs> yes. but this moment really does take the cake
1: for the <laughs> Especially because the the girls that they're auctioning off before this, it's like snail girl, a woman whose breasts are sewn together. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you're like, okay, this is weird, but like this is, you know, I can handle this. Mm-hmm. And then there's this big reveal of the chairperson and then it starts breathing. That is when I was like... What the fuck, Japan?
0: <laughs> but I just love the idea that in this world where, you know, these are, there are these body modifications that happen. Mm-hmm. Of course, there's going to be people who get off on that. That's another thing I love about this movie is like it's a very fetishy movie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that would be real. Of course, human beings always look for an opportunity to like get get off on weird things like that. And I yep. just I just love that whole scene. I love the music in it.
1: It yeah, it it is really amazing. Would you go to a club like that? I, I say this. I, I will try to watch anything fictional. Like
0: mm-hmm.
1: and maybe there's a line. I, I, I'm not saying like I'm the toughest person or whatever, but like I, I can watch gross stuff if it's fictional. As yeah. soon as anything is real I freak out like I don't even let. like I I can't handle blood or gore or anything like that in real life. Right. It's Mm -hmm. like extreme for me. So I would be interested in the existence of a club like that, but I could see myself being really grossed out by all like the flesh horror. I want to be cool and say yes, but I know I'd probably pass out.
0: I'm exactly the same. I'm, in my head, oh. I'm like, oh, yeah, no, I love it. It's so cool. But I'm getting on now. I'm not into my partying days anymore. I don't right. drink anymore. Maybe if I was, like, 21, I would probably go and hang out. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they volunteered. Like, is it is it a case of, like, they're really heavy into this fetish that they oh, kind God. of... I don't know which is more horrifying, if they volunteered themselves or if they were, like, made into this chair creature. If anyone's into those chair kind of things, please feel free to uh, let us know.
1: Please help me understand.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So the other thing I was interested to know what you thought about is, um, so Keyman, he inserts like a key shaped tumor into people to make Mm -hmm. the engineers I was just wondering what you thought is the significance of it being like a key shape,
1: perhaps unlocking unlocking something that's inside everyone. We all have the capacity to be violent yeah. and you know to be more brutal, and so perhaps the key shaped tumor is is unlocking that ability.
0: every human has the potential to be like this violent feral beast mm-hmm. um and he's kind of bringing it out of everyone. yeah. Literally unlocking it from a place inside of ourselves that we didn't even probably know existed. On a first watch, you probably think, yeah, the plot's not really important as compared to like all the wild gore. But the more you do think about it, it does actually have a plot and it does have a it plot does. that um has parts in reality as well, as bizarre as it is. I mean, I'm just thinking about the part where Ruka is on the subway and <sighs> she gets her butt groped. Which, you know, is a huge problem everywhere. But especially in Japan, they have in some cities, they have like women only subway cars. Oh, I didn't know that. Because there's women being groped on public transport and also women um, being upskirted, like having a picture taken. I mean, fun fact, in Japan and Korea, actually, if you're I have a phone that I bought in Korea. And if you take a picture, it you can't turn that sound off. Like, oh yeah um that sound is like built in to the phone like a warning i guess like, like if an you hear alert that. yeah 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 basically so you can't take like a sneaky um pervert picture
1: and honestly now that i'm remembering that scene that was probably the hardest scene for me to watch all the gore and stuff i'm like yeah come on more gore but this scene of of Ruka getting groped, it is so real and she has to decide what to do about it and, you know, her choices about what to do about it are different than ours would be, like her ability to to do anything about it, but, you know, it makes me think about times where that has happened to me and and in my head going, should I just move on from this for, you know, like, or should I do anything about it? And so I was like, oh man, of all the things in this dystopian future, the ass-grabbing is the worst for me. Some things never
0: (laughs) change. and i'm sure every woman listening to this has had an experience where they've been like publicly harassed and at the time you're like i'm not going to say anything because i don't want to make this worse and then afterwards i for me personally afterwards i'm like oh my god why didn't i just hit that guy in the face but you know it's very different being in the situation and having it happen rather than you know hindsight is like a wonderful thing right and I just love that Ruka takes no shit. She grabs his arm, drags him off the subway and then just chops him up to little pieces.
1: That was cathartic. That was yeah. like, thank you for that. The movie didn't have to have that, but it did. And yeah. I appreciate it.
0: And it reminded me as well. I I don't know if you have you seen a film called Lady Snowblood? Are you seeing, Have you seen Kill Bill? Yes. Okay so Kill Bill is basically a like a retelling uh, there's so many homages to Lady Snowblood in Kill Bill so it's kind of okay. you know the the women's revenge type thing mm-hmm. and in Lady Snowblood the the woman but she beheads and kills all these men with her sword and she's got like this beautiful kimono on you know her hair's all done up in a very like traditional japanese style and that's kind of what, what Ruka is wearing in this scene as well. She's got, like, um her traditional Japanese umbrella and, mm-hmm. you know, this beautiful, like, silken kimono top. That scene kind of reminded me of um, Lady Snowblood. So, oh, yeah, that's do amazing. check that I'll out if you get that the chance.
1: I actually had a little list of references to different movies that I thought I saw in Tokyo gore Police. There's the scene where the madam is getting killed in the bathroom, like the woman who organizes the sex workers. Um, that reminded me, I haven't seen Cannibal Holocaust, but the iconic pull through the mouth, they did that. The opening kill of the engineer with the chainsaw arm he was moving around like leatherface at the end of the texas chainsaw massacre where he's swirling his chainsaw in the air the jars of blood after the cannibal holocaust kill there's the Mm. jars of of blood in the bathroom and she's packed up into a box that made me think of exorcist three the last reference that i will point out and obviously I'm a huge saw fan. This is not a secret. It's like the one thing you'll know about me. But there's a lot of like frenetic shaking of the camera when the engineers are like powering up. That reminded me a lot of of Saw, especially the first one, and it's even like green and yellow in the police procedural parts the way that Saw is. Like those just sort of like sickly colors.
0: I recently watched, a you, my, one of my favorite YouTubers is called, uh, her name is May. She goes by Nick's Fears on YouTube. And she just did like a breakdown of like all the Saw franchise. And she mentions that color scheme that comes up quite a few mm-hmm. times. And yeah, you do see that in Tokyo Ghoul Police. Uh, especially when uh, towards the end, there is two unnamed characters. A girl, a schoolgirl with, she has like a box cutter arm. And one of the engineer hunters, they're kind of having a fight and the whole scene is kind of tinged with this like greeny, yellowy mm-hmm. kind of tint. And I really like that personally because it makes me feel a bit like, ugh, it's yucky.
1: Yes, I like it too. And it, it it's like of a time in horror, you know, in 2008, we were on Saw 5. It reminds me, it, it feels mm-hmm. very um like of a time for me.
0: It's a very 2000s light. Mm hmm. I think the last couple of years, the directors are getting more into like the the giallo light,
1: like soft blue,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and I like just a saw
1: light. Yeah. yeah.
0: I just saw last night in Soho, which I did not like, but um he uses a lot of that light It's very much of its time, and I'm wondering I'm wondering how quick it will take us to move past that and people to be like, okay, moving to something else now.
1: I really liked the character who um, sort of acts as the dispatch for the police. She's very cute, and she talks directly into the camera, so it feels like she's talking to the audience. She's, you know, saying, kill kill them, show no yeah. mercy, like, kill them violently, and it reminded me... I I don't know if this is a stretch. It reminded me of House of a Thousand Corpses, where there are those cutaways during House of a Thousand Corpses where you get characters, some of them you know, some of them you don't know, talking to the camera, and it's meant to feel like the Manson tapes. If someone needs to be killed, you kill them. And there's another guy who's outside his house screaming, this is hell there's oh gosh i can't otis is looking into the camera saying i hope you like what you see so the dispatcher yelling at the audience like encouraging the you know the police but straight Mm. into the camera to be violent made me think a lot of house of a thousand corpses and sort of that confronting the audience
0: like oh you want violence here you go have it more 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 it also reminded me of the and this is a more obvious reference i'm sure like um is is a direct have you seen battle royale that also has, you know, a cutesy kind of girl like addressing the camera, talking about these really horrible bloodthirsty things and then doing like a little like pouty like ooh, cutesy face. Um, <laughs> and I, I love that kind of juxtaposition. Japanese cinema does this really well, this like juxtaposition between cute and horrible. Like that yes, just sums does. up a lot of Japanese media so well. You know, I'm not sure. into anime or like manga or anything, but I some of the stuff I've seen is just like tiny little schoolgirls like cutting each other up and stuff
1: i i can think of some characters like there's one called um th- there's an anime that's called in english it it's, translates to magical girl madoka
0: okay and it starts
1: out and you think it's going to be this sailor moon story about these cute high school girls doing cute things to save the world and it it flips a few episodes in to be like really dark and horrible and almost, I want to say like almost Lynchian in the way it gets sort of bananas and sort of cuts away from reality. It's really good. A lot of people were really angry because the first few episodes make you think it's going to be one kind of a show. Mm. And then suddenly it becomes something totally else. And so a lot of like bros out there felt tricked so i don't i know uh anime's not for everybody but just thinking about that juxtaposition of cutesy Mm. and horrible magical girl madoka will do that for you
0: ariel thank you so much for coming on the show today i've had such an amazing time talking to you about tokyo gore police and i think we've really taken this movie apart i've Thought of things in this discussion that I didn't even think about before. So thank you so much for bringing those things to light.
1: Well, thank you. This has been wonderful. I mean, it's it, that's what happens when you talk through these movies, you know.
0: Everybody follow Ariel on Twitter and Letterboxed at Ari underscore Hellraiser, and check out all her writing and her work on Ghouls Magazine, which I will put a link in the show notes. Please keep an eye out in 2022 for what uh, Ariel has planned for the ghouls. We've got some great stuff coming up, and I'm so honored and excited to be part of it and uh, to be working with you further in the future, Ariel. So, just yeah amazing work thank you so much
1: (laughs) oh no thank you i thanks for having me and i'm so excited to to see what else comes out of this podcast this year
0: if you're not following me on instagram already go and follow me on at hornblood fire check out the other episodes check out the website everything i don't need to repeat myself i know you guys uh, know what to do and thanks so much for listening everyone and see you on the next one bye